0: The Start On On Demand.
1: We spoke on Wednesday about how it is rare when there is a major event that happens somewhere on this planet, doesn't matter how far away, someone back home here in Winnipeg, here in Manitoba, is bound to feel those effects. Well, sure enough, we learned that eight Winnipeggers on that plane that crashed in Tehran died. We'll get reaction from some folks who were close to those who perished in that crash. Is weight shaming going to be the next tool in the shed for environmentalists? A recent study shows that obesity contributes a lot to greenhouse gases. And do you ever feel communication overload? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, January 9th podcast for The Start. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Got to ask first, Loren McNabb, because we got a text here from Marcel, who says 10 to 15 centimeters in Toulon, mm. Highway 7, Toulon to Winnipeg, partly covered, snow plows are out, and uh, the snow has stopped, but the visibility is still a bit reduced. How was your drive-in? You come in from south of the city.
2: Yeah, I think it was It was pretty decent. I don't think it was pretty decent. I was... I. When I stepped into the garage this morning, you could see this drifts that had come in underneath the garage doors. And I thought, oh, God, what's what's going to happen as soon as I open these doors? But it actually wasn't that bad. I'm wondering if we talked to Environment Canada yesterday and they talked about how there was going to be that line yep. and more might come north of Winnipeg. So if he's in Toulon, perhaps that's where they got more snow. I would say ours was less than five centimeters.
1: Yeah, and that's what it seems like here. I saw a lot, some some drifts here and there, but not a ton of snow and all the streets... Greg, uh, you probably noticed the same thing. Downtown, like I left Osborne, it, it had been plowed. I could just took a quick little jaunt through downtown. Every street had been plowed. They're
0: probably annoyed right now because it's snowing again. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, all the major routes have been plowed, but it, I think, has snowed since they plowed them the first time, Yeah, and I'm just looking at the radar right now, and it, you're right, obviously, you can see the snow out the window, but it looks like we're going to get a little bit more snow before it uh, finally gives up. Yesterday, we were predicting it would stop snowing by noon. It looks like it might stop snowing in the city before that. So, uh, it's going to be a much slower drive, I suspect, even though they've done a, yeoman's effort to get the major thoroughfares uh, ready for rush hour. I I suspect things will be slower than usual. I slid through one uh, intersection downtown, and I wasn't even going all that fast, so uh, you'll find some slippery sections out there, no question.
1: And let us know what you're seeing, 204-780-6868. Shoot us a text if there's anything we need to know about as it pertains to that snow. So the snow obviously was uh, one of the big things we were watching yesterday, but the the news that eight Manitobans were among those who died on that plane crash. Just uh, you know, you, we you, we had this conversation, and Loren, you said it. Greg, you said it. There is rarely a story; doesn't matter how far away it happens on the planet, there is rarely a story that where there isn't a local impact or an impact back home. And it didn't take long for us to feel that effect.
2: No, you got mothers and fathers and children that were on that plane. The the, the impact that's really standing out for me is all oh, so many of these Iranian Canadians who are coming home. The roles they were playing in our community as academics and doctors and pharmacists and professors is just incredible. All these extremely smart, well-loved Canadians were really making a go here in Canada and then to have this all just taken from them. And then another part of it, too, is the extension of that. And we're going to share a bit more at 6.15. But the prime minister saying yesterday that of the 176 people on board, 138 were actually coming to Canada. So the majority of them were on their way here. They may not have been from here or living here, but they were visiting people here, coming to Canada for whatever reason, relatives, work, who knows? So imagine that, like 138 dead that knew somebody in Canada, so there's just no way you're not going to turn a corner today and and think about that. The coffee shop might have had someone that came in, or your school. There's schools today that are dealing with the grief of young kids that have been taken. It's just, it's I couldn't I couldn't put my phone down in the sense I wanted to look at each picture that we were getting in from family and loved ones to acknowledge it almost as a tribute, and then you just keep thinking, my God, like my God, these young kids,
0: and the, and, the, and like you say, the brain power. Uh, attached to these individuals. Edmonton is really feeling this today. 30 members of their community, uh, part of the Iranian Canadian community there. They say 1% of their Iranian Canadian community was killed on that flight yesterday. So that's a, an incredible amount of grief that we're feeling across the country today. And uh, I encourage you to uh, take a look at the list of names and to look at their accomplishments and to look at the type of people that they were and our boy, oh boy, just in Winnipeg, the, the, the people that we've lost is uh, just overwhelming.
1: This topic grabbed our attention, particularly because we had a conversation just a couple weeks back about fat shaming. Greg, you weren't here, but this had to do with Adele when she posted pics on Instagram mm-hmm. that showed she had lost weight. And everyone celebrated, but she did not comment on the weight loss. So then that led to a backlash to the celebrations with people saying that kind of celebration is fat shaming. Well, here's the line from this next article. Move over flight shaming. We may see environmentalists target a new group of individuals overeaters. Yes, overeating could potentially become the next shaming target. Those words written by Sylvain Charlebois, professor and senior director at the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Sylvain, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. So this stems from a recent study published by the Obesity Society. What did that study show when it comes to overeating?
3: Well, so the study that uh, was um Uh, organized by the University of Copenhagen in Denmark, uh, suggests that uh, 20% of gas emissions uh, are due to uh, overeating. In fact, because if you actually eat too much, uh, the resources uh, required to produce the food you don't necessarily need uh, goes to waste. And that's, that's what the study suggests, is that overeaters may contribute to climate change. And when I read the, that study, I merely thought of flight shaming, and I thought maybe this could be the next argument. In the study itself, researchers are saying, well, we shouldn't use this argument to uh, to uh, make people feel guilty. But as you guys know, you're in the media. And with social media these days, you never know how research will be utilized, Uh given the fact that right now we're seeing a lot, a lot of groups weaponizing research against certain groups.
2: They're weaponizing the research and also, to some extent, just what's being consumed. It might be a bit about, okay, you eat a lot and therefore you're consuming more and therefore you're contributing to uh, waste, but it also could be just what you eat in terms of that whole plant versus meat versus what else is being put on my plate, Sylvain.
3: Exactly. I mean, eating is interestingly cultural personal traditional I mean people make uh, food choices every single day and and to me I mean these decisions we we had to respect them Uh, everyone actually has uh, different needs uh, physiological needs uh, tastes and uh, and now uh, of course uh, using uh, overeating or people with weight problems, uh, and and target and targeting them would probably be unfair. I've actually been uh, a target uh, for, uh, of of environmental groups uh, related to uh, to my travels. Air, I do travel a lot. I've been to Winnipeg, I think five times the last twelve months. You can't walk there. You can't drive there. I have to fly there. And, and flight shaming is is a thing. It's there. I'm just concerned that uh, that some people would be unfairly targeted as well a of their weight.
0: Well, Greta Thunberg, of course, uh, took that very much to heart. And when she came to North America, came on the came on that boat. Right. I came on the sailboat oh, because uh, people were were flight shaming her and the idea, well, you're not really an environmentalist if you get on an airplane. So she said, OK, fine, I'll, I'll take a boat. But put the put the uh, the weight aside. Uh, Sylvan. what about the whole idea about how we even collect our calories and how we go out and get them? Uh, based on how we eat we just saw at the golden globes they had the all plant-based meal that raised a lot of eyebrows but i was thinking about this just the other day how long it would be before we were drawing correlations between uh the way we eat and how we collect our food and how that affects the environment and jackie and i went to my wife and i went to costco on friday i was at work she was not we met there so two vehicles to costco we bought a ton of stuff some that we know is going to inevitably, we're not going to be able to consume because it's going to go bad uh, before we consume it. Uh, Those of us that live in the suburbs uh, tend to go through the drive through a little bit more. And so there's a whole difference there versus people who live in downtown Vancouver, downtown Toronto that don't have cars that pick up their fresh fruit and vegetables almost every day.
3: Exactly. I mean, it's, I mean, I, I think the the the, the individualized uh, guilt uh, approach is is going a little bit too far. I mean, if you look at uh, at uh, the weight of people, if someone exercises a lot, eats the same amount of food, would you shame that person as well? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're eating the same amount of food, but they're don't they're not they're not fat. They're not accumulating fat at all. So that's why I think we're actually really at a point where we need to be a little bit careful. I I do appreciate environmentalists and groups that are trying to individualize guilt uh, as a result of their frustration seeing governments and and industry not doing enough. But at the same time, uh, we're talking about individuals and, and respect. And at the end of the day, really, when it comes to food especially, I think we need to respect the choices of people.
1: Yeah, we got a text from Rob who says he's a big guy. Uh, he just eats three normal meals a day. Meanwhile, he know, he has two friends who he as he says two not big friends who can eat all day because their metabolism is crazy. So
3: exactly, and so genetics. I mean, some people have lost the lottery of of, of genetics, and are you going to make them feel more guilty because they're overweight? That's why when it comes to obesity and, and people being overweight, it, it is really a complex issue. And, and that's why I, I think this study coming out of the University of Copenhagen could, be, uh, could actually be used uh, against some people, which would be unfortunate, really.
1: Sylvain Charlebois is a professor and senior director at the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University joining us live once again on 680 CJOB. Sylvain, thank you as always, sir. Have a good day. Bye bye. If you want to read Sylvain's full article, we have linked it to our six eighty C J O B Instagram story. It's a fascinating read. And uh, I like that he has pointed out like this, let's not turn this into a thing. Well
2: I saw a tweet going around a couple of days ago about when do you comment on other people's behavior and, and why do people feel the need to address, you know, if your kids having a tantrum in the stores, if the mom doesn't know that there's an issue there or on the plane, or you know, if someone is kind of in your way. Why do you why do people feel the need to give their opinion? all the time towards a complete stranger. And so the idea would be feel free to share on your social media page articles about how habits might be contributing to greenhouse gases or other things, but it's something completely different to walk up to someone in the store and be like, that's not local. Did you know you, you, know, you bought right. that from somewhere else? Or to look at the person sitting next to you at the restaurant. And I've had, heard people do this. Comment on other people in my circle who might be uh, bigger or larger and have them, you know, whisper underneath, oh, they're eating fries. They shouldn't be eating fries. Like, it's none of your business what a person is choosing to put in their body unless you're super concerned about their health and you know them well. Stay out of it. Oh,
0: boy, that's a slippery slope. I don't know if I could ever make that suggestion to anybody, that whole idea of, should you really be having that? I don't think, um, mm, no. I'm biting my tongue every single time on that one. Yeah, if someone were to make that
1: kind of a comment, they'd be likely to get an uppercut straight-right flurry, so just be careful who you say the wrong thing to. <laughs> Mackling McGarry McNabb. Jeff Braun is back. Hey, Jeff. What up? How you feeling? <laughs> Better. Good. Kelly Moore is here. <laughs> Jeff Forte is here. Greg, you were- putting together a list
0: earlier, and I think the count was up to 14. What were you counting up? I was counting all the different ways that we can communicate and get in touch with one another because (laughs) I'm really tired of missing people's Communicates. I, I sent a direct message to uh, one of our regular guests, Kelly Keen, on Twitter about a month ago. And last night she goes, "Greg, I just got this. I'm so sorry. You know, Happy New Year, etc. Mm. etc. Cetera, et cetera. Do you still need the information?" I'm like, "No, no, it's all good." Anyway, so I, I wrote it down all the different ways that that we can connect with one another: phone call, and that can be landline or cell phone, home or office. I can leave a message for you on your voicemail or your answering machine. I can send you a fax. You can send me a letter. (laughs) Who does that anymore? Believe it or not, they still exist and people do use them. Morse code? Morse code? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know on what device. I guess on a telegraph machine. Uh, you can send me a letter, email, of course, Instagram, Instagram direct message, Twitter, Twitter direct message, Facebook, yes, of course, Facebook Messenger, something called Slack that we use internally here as a communication, and an, uh, yet another platform called Open Media that we're using. And I almost forgot about texting and WhatsApp.
1: Yep, there's other 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 apps out yeah. there too, like, like WhatsApp. WhatsApp is. One of dozens that are
2: doing uh, the same thing. Even people I still hear, yeah, I re- reached out to them on LinkedIn, and I'm like, you did? Oh, like, yeah. do we have a
1: phone number? But
2: there's like a there's so many ways. Carrier yeah.
1: pigeon, message in a yes, bottle. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so so then is is the problem here too much communication
0: or too many ways? Well, well, perhaps. Do you ever get that sense that you're missing something, and and uh, people come back to you and they say. You know, um, I sent you that message. Uh, Why didn't you call me back? Yeah, I know 30 seconds ago I sent you a message. Did you haven't
4: responded. What's going on? Right.
0: I phoned you and then I sent you a
4: text message. Did you get my voicemail? (laughs) There there are still many times where, like in our building, especially uh, because I deal a lot with our sales department, I'll just go take a wander down to that side of the building to have a face-to-face conversation. I don't know if that's also in your uh, modes of communication. Face What is that? I know. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a foreign concept from a long time <laughs> in a land far, far away.
2: It does speak to something, too, about whether or not, like, I'd love to know how other organizations or businesses communicate because we have all these ways within our newsroom, and still somebody <laughs> will say, oh, I didn't get that. And you're like, seriously? I sent uh, you six 16 different possible ways you could have received that message. And either you're it, either it's too much that it's easy to ignore, or yeah. there's something that happens where you just blank over all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, I, I just
4: think there are too many ways to communicate, and it, so it's very easy for these messages to get lost in the shuffle because you might be on Slack, but someone's trying to reach you on open media or text or via email, and you cannot simply check all of them all the time to to keep up
0: with it. It's exhausting.
1: I well and that's part of the thing too. I think uh, I I have a lot of things on my phone disabled in terms of push notifications because my phone would would never stop right. vibrating. So as a result, I do miss messages, but I I do that to just protect my sanity because mm-hmm. otherwise I would I would lose it. And there are times where I just want to throw my phone out the window and say to hell with all of it. If you need to get in touch with me, come find me. Well, that's the thing,
0: too, is that like in an emergency or if it's really important, those messages will get through. Like if something, God forbid, happened to a family member, my mom will just call and she'll just keep calling until I answer the phone or call her back. Right. Or uh, notice at least that she's called. So I don't worry about that. And uh, yeah, like. Brett said, this important stuff comes through on the phone. The other stuff is disabled. And uh, if you send me a message on Instagram, I will see it tomorrow <laughs> or the day after or whenever I go to Instagram. Like, if you- you're
2: trying to get like a whole group of people, like one message, email. For me, it's if you need to get a hold of me as soon as possible, text me. If it's an emergency, call me. But I've uh, there's a growing number of people I've called and their voicemail, like as they're talking in their voicemail, the best way to reach me is email or text. I'm like, but I'm, but, but I got you, but <laughs> like, why, why can't I leave a message right now? Because yeah. it's too annoying to hit the button that plays back the voicemail and then you got to write down the number. Uh-huh. It's easier to send the number. They can click on it. I get all that, but it's so weird to hear a person yeah. say, I know you're hearing my voice right now. I don't want to hear yours. Yeah. The employee
4: told <laughs> me what they're saying. The employee is no longer with us, but on on her voicemail, it said, "Why don't you do it the modern way and send me a text or email? Voicemail is so passe." And oh, I'm, really? Yeah. This person, <laughs> this person is no longer working with us, and, and
0: not because of that either. But, but what's <laughs> the point of voicemail nowadays? Because like you can see who called you. Um well, on, most people. Yeah, yes. I don't. I got a landline that does not have. Uh, Caller uh, call call ID dis- on yeah. Yeah, or display. Yeah. It's just a cheap phone. Yeah,
1: plus too, I mean, they might have to, you might say, see that they called, but what did they call about? You got to hear the details. Yeah. yeah.
2: You call them back. Well, no, what, if you don't I'm, hear the
1: message until like eight p m. and then they're they're, they're gone me, for the day. So then you got me. then you left wondering, why did they call? Is this Is this something bad? Cool. Is my car going to blow up? Yeah, like, I don't I, know what I
2: happened. Happen. <laughs> and I often leave a message if you're just calling friends just to chat. I'm calling for no reason. No Russian calling me back. Just checking in, right? And I'll leave yeah. that message. And then that person knows, like, is something going on, or can I leave this for a day or two? And,
4: and for the person leaving the message, it is a lot quicker just to, communicate that orally rather than sitting there and having to type something out.
1: We need to start with our top story, and that is the plane crash that saw eight Manitobans die.
2: Yeah, they include two University of Manitoba students, a family of three, a mother and some, and those are just some of the Winnipegers who've lost their lives in that plane crash in Iran Tuesday night. The two children that we know of, and again, it's possible the list of Manitobans impacted could grow. These two kids that we know of were 10 and 11, and both went to school within the Pemina Trails School Division. Ted Franzen is the superintendent of Pemina Trails and joins us now. Good morning.
5: Good morning.
2: It's a phone call no one wants to get, particularly if you're a family or a loved one, uh, Ted, but I'm curious... When you get the call from principals telling you about this impact a world away, what went through your head?
5: Uh, Profound sadness, uh, shock. You know, I went to bed the the night before uh, hearing about the mishap, the tragedy in Tehran and not expecting that it would hit home. And the next morning, you know, you get that first call, one, and then a second one. And it really, really hits home.
0: How, how are you dealing with this? How are you helping the kids deal with this, Ted? Because clearly this is uh, an extended family now, and this is going to have an effect on uh, on, on hundreds of people.
5: We have great staff, kind, caring staff, who, who immediately uh, take matters into their own hands and demonstrate their love and care for the kids in the classroom. And we also have uh, very talented and well-trained psychologists and social workers who work within Pemina Trails who become available immediately uh, to the two schools to support uh, the kids, but also, of course, to support the staff, because staff are grieving as well.
2: It's a very hard thing to talk to kids about, and and these, these two students, 10 and 11, two different schools, the idea of a plane crash, however, is very real to, other, to many people. You know, people travel all the time. And so to have a friend, to lose a friend is one thing. And then to imagine that tragedy happening to yourself is very real, I think, for all of us. And so there's another layer of the conversation that has to occur with these students, I imagine.
5: You're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, you've mentioned something that is quite, a, quite relevant and important here. These kids have traveled a fair bit because they've come to us from other countries. Uh, we have a, an awful lot of newcomers to Canada attending school on 10 trails. And so the travel part, the having left a homeland, uh, is very real to them. Our staff are, are experienced and well-trained uh, and very, very sensitive to you know, what, what the needs are of 11- and 12-year-olds. And, uh, it, you know, I take a great deal of solace uh, and comfort in knowing that we've got great people there.
0: The other side is that there are kids that may have never been on a plane at this point in their lives, and and this may affect the psychology about whether they ever want to get on an aircraft.
5: Absolutely, and we know uh, intellectually and academically that there's no safer way of travel than air air travel. Uh, Mm -hmm. Air travel has never been safer, and so it is important for us to be mindful of the facts and not to, uh, not, to, not to support the awfulization of, of air travel. Uh, this is a most tragic and unfortunate circumstance. There are countless traffic fatalities uh, around the world, as we're speaking, uh, that make car travel much more dangerous than air travel. So, it is, so teachers do play an important role in uh, mourning and grieving now, and, and keeping mindful of the fact that air travel is still very safe.
2: When we think about this, and I look at some of the pictures on our website, globalnews.ca, of the young kids who lost their lives, one's at the fork skating with their mom and dad, the other was with their, with their mom and dad at a proud celebration. I, I know a superintendent is several layers removed from the kids at times, but what have you learned about these two in terms of how long they may have been in the school or in the classroom and just their impact there, Ted?
5: Well, in both cases, uh, these students have been, they're in their second school because as a school division, we have early years, middle years, and senior year schools. So they have uh, been in two, this is their second school. And so their their passing, their deaths have impacted not only their immediate schools, of course, but their previous schools. And I'm hearing the same kind of things that you've just articulated. Uh, Wonderful kids, lively, um, greatly missed.
2: One of the great tweets I read this morning, and I just want to share it with you and others. We've talked about just the impact these these Iranian Canadians have had in our community, the, the various jobs and professions they've had, They've the kids. And a contributor to the New York Times tweeted this morning that the horrible air crash in Iran and the stories of lost loved ones we are hearing in Canada is a reminder of the quality of the immigrants who bless us by choosing this country. These were truly extraordinary people. And I think that's a great lesson for all of us this, this morning as we head to work or school, Ted.
5: Is it ever? You know, uh, when I was superintendent in Morden, we had uh, an amazing IT director. I think he's still there. Uh, a newcomer to Canada from Iran who continues to make an incredibly positive contribution to that southern Manitoba community. And coming to Winnipeg, uh, you know, 15 years ago, uh, uh, it's, it, I've been in awe of the contribution that, uh, that newcomers have made to Canada. And as a first-generation Canadian myself, my mom was a World War II refugee. Uh, We are a land of immigrants, uh, and um, our diversity is enriched by those who come to us from other countries.
1: Ted Franzen, superintendent of Pemina Trails School Division, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Ted, thank you, as always, for the time. We appreciate it.
5: You're very welcome. Take care.
1: Right now, we are joined by one of our friends from Clinic Psychology, Manitoba, Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman. He joins us. I would say on a monthly basis or so, or in times of need, and I think this is certainly
0: a time of need for our entire country, really. Yeah, there's no question about it. Good morning, Raymond. How are you this morning?
6: Good morning. How are you?
0: We're doing okay. You know, it's a, a dip- difficult day for a lot of us in the country. We're speaking with Ted Franzen at Pembina Trails School Division about some of the victims and how the, the school division is going to be helping friends, family, teachers, uh, those that, that knew families and, and uh, individuals that were killed in this plane crash. But I, I think we're all feeling this today.
6: Yes, absolutely. It's very sad news. These are difficult times. How do we address these with our children? You know, the answer to some of those things kind of can really vary, uh, simply because as children develop and they age, um, what they can understand will vary. So I, I always start off by saying, you know, we need to control some of the messaging. Even as adults, so you know, watching the news on an excessive basis can be nerve-wracking. I was just talking to a friend last night who said, I couldn't sleep because I watched the news before I went to bed. Um, So we can only imagine, you know, as adults who we have a greater understanding of the world, and still with the way things are, sometimes it's hard to understand. You can imagine with the impact of all this on children. So the first step is to be able to control the message and how much news they are watching. Um, I say younger children, it's really important for them to have their message limited. Um, My son doesn't know about the plane crash. He's six. But he is beginning to understand other things. He asked me the other day if Trump was a bad person. Uh, And that was a conversation we needed to have. And so as children get older, they get exposed to these messages. And as they get exposed to these messages, there's going to be, in some ways, this is traumatic news. It's a form of vicarious traumatization, you know, when we hear about these horrible things happening in the world. I was saying... Sorry, go ahead.
2: I was just saying on that note, Raymond, that I was with my own kids last night. The night before, they had come home and the TV was already on and it was on the missile uh, air attacks. And so yeah. I had to explain because they both can read and they were reading the ticker before I, we yeah. got a chance to shut it off. And we had, yeah. a, we had just a conversation and it was fine. There was no, no, I didn't feel like they had any concerns following up that. Last night I said, no news, we're not turning it on because a plane crash or a plane or flying in a plane is so, it's, uh, um, so many families and kids can connect to that. They may have been on one or about to go on one or at some point in their life, we'll take a flight. And so you talk about controlling the message, but then they could go to school and have someone mes- mention it right and so you're trying to decide yeah. do i want to be the one to talk to them first or wait to see if they come to me with those questions
6: That's a really good question so when i say control the message if so if your children are not of school age you have greater control over that once your children become of school age we can control the message by being mindful about how much news they watch, right, because it's very easy to get stuck to watching the news and seeing what's happening. But another way to control the message is to be able to talk about what's happening. So, as I said, this is a type of form of vicarious traumatization. You watch this stuff happening. And trauma has this way of removing a sense of control, because we don't know what's going to happen. And everything that's, you know, the tenacious nature of what's happening you know discussions of World War Three, you know, those things kind of remove a sense of control. And we want to give that control back to those children. There, so, Ray, sorry, go ahead.
1: Is there a danger, Raymond, uh, of, of trying of being too protective of what we tell our kids? Because kids, you know, I think we often forget that kids are tougher than we give them credit for. Sometimes, right?
6: Yeah, you know what that that message. I I we have to be careful with that message. You know, I you, the message is that children are resilient. That doesn't mean that they're not impacted. And that's why we need to be a bit more careful. So when I say controlling the message, it's about being able to carry on a sense of routine. It's to be able to let them know that they are safe. You know, the moment they see us fall out of sorts, they realize that actually things are not as safe as they think. So we have to try to maintain some composure. Now, in addition to that, we also have to prepare our children to live in the world that they're living in now. And these kinds of messages can create a great sense of fear about travel, Uh, about people, people who might come from different countries, and that's where we need to start to have those discussions. But those aren't, I, I mean, thankfully, I think, you know, the media is changing. I mean, the kinds of discussions you guys have, you know, that message is getting out there. But as parents, as educators, we need to start to be able to have those messages and those discussions with our children as well, too. So they're not just carrying, you know, the implicit message of the news.
0: How do do you have that discussion? Because let's face it, sometimes our kids are not interested in talking with us. They don't want to necessarily necessarily speak with us about what we want to speak with them about. How do you transition into maybe it's dinner, maybe it's uh, another sort of activity into what would be considered from the outside looking in or as the parent a very serious conversation?
6: Well, children are more of a captive audience and realize. The younger they are, the more captive audience they can be. Now, just because children don't respond to what we're saying doesn't mean they're not hearing what we're saying. So most of the time, people or parents are looking for some sort of acknowledgement or some interest from their children to be able to suggest that they are listening to what they're saying, and that doesn't need to be the case. And so we need to pick a narrative, you know, about safety, about control, about learning about the world, about understanding that, you know, people can make bad decisions, um, You know, the discussion I had with my son about Trump is that, you know, that he said, but he's the president of the United States. And I said, yes. And sometimes leaders can make bad decisions, and that can lead them into trouble. Now, do I think Trump is evil? Right, probably. Um, But, you know, in terms of his world, like, I I needed to tamper that down to be able to say, you know, people make bad decisions. And that can sometimes lead to a lot of difficult problems, Um, even leaders of country. So children don't necessarily see adults as infallible. You know, they, what they do need to be able to do is turn to us for a sense of protection, You know that even though people make mistakes, um, that we do our best to keep them safe.
2: This is all great advice for parents looking to talk to kids, but what about just... The rest of us in the sense of being adults, you mentioned off the top, Uh, your friend that struggled. I mean, if I want to have a good conversation about this or help someone else through it, I need to be in the good headspace myself. So those who are up this morning thinking the same thing, like, my God, I cannot look at any more photos. I can't hear any more. What an awful, awful morning for so many in this country. What's your advice to the rest of us?
6: Uh, we got to (laughs) talk. We've got to sit down and have a big talk. And these kinds of conversations of the media are incredibly helpful We've got to talk about what this means to us. You know, what does it mean for our safety? Where are we coming from? W- when we talk about these problems, we process through them, and, we're able, and we talk about them with other people, we're able to gain a sense of perspective. Without that perspective, it's all in our head. And when it's all in our head, like you know, any sense of logic, any sense of comfort that we get from other people kind of slips away, and that anxiety kind of builds, and it takes over and it makes it you know, hard for us to sleep, it you know, makes it difficult for us to have a sense of safety in the world. There are people who you know, just assume that this isn't an issue as well, too. You know, it's just like, you know, one more. You know, people who can get desensitized. You see enough of this stuff in the world that you're just like, whatever, we just move on. And even for those people, it's important for us to be able to understand the, re, the realization of the importance of this stuff, not just to them, but to, the, to their fellow Canadians and fellow global citizens.
0: Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because one of the things that we are, I think um, that's filling our heart today and making this so much more tragic all at the same time is what these individuals did with their lives, how well educated they were, the roles they played in their communities. We're learning about these people one at a time in in this large group, in this large tragedy. And one of the things we're trying to kind of pull from this in a positive fashion is just how incredible these people were and and then on the flip side how incredibly they'll be missed
6: yeah and i think it really speaks to the value of human beings you know we don't know what we have until it's gone um and i think it teaches us to start to treasure the relationships that we have with people now and i think it teaches us to start to make an effort to connect with the people around us not to take them for granted yeah, I'm talking about coworkers. Uh, you know, people in our neighborhood, people in our community, people we see as similar, people that we see as different. This is a time when we have those discussions. There is no right or wrong discussion to be had about this. It's just that we need to be able to have that discussion. Once we're able to talk about our feelings, you know, you know whatever, whatever our thoughts are, are going to vary from person to person, but the more we're able to speak about it, the more we can challenge any thoughts that we might have that might make us more anxious. We, Even if we're talking with other parents, it might present us with other points of view that we can present to our children. I'd never thought about it that way. I could say it that way. you know. Um, the professionals won't have all the answers. You know, so many of us are really great at explaining really difficult situations, but we need to be able to have those conversations with each other in order to be able to develop those.
1: Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman joining us from Clinic Psychology Manitoba, their website, Clinic Psychology dot com and you can also go to raymond's website winlove.ca raymond thank you as always we appreciate the time sir
6: thank you for having me and for having this discussion hey loren mcnab uh,
1: our guest is on the line who are we speaking to now
2: well we're reaching out to some of the people who knew some of those victims the winnipeggers who were on that plane crash and we were saying earlier it's one thing to sort of know the number of people that died in that crash it's quite another to learn more about them and see their pictures and read their names and hear all the things that they had done uh, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and right across Canada, and we've got Winnipegers uh, who, like Farooq Adem, who held a PhD in immunology, and Amir Hussein gassemi who was a graduate student in engineering, and Zara Musavi, our next guest, knew both of them, and she joins us now. And Zara, we want to thank you first, and, and offer our sincere condolences for your loss, and for also just taking the time and being brave enough to talk to us this morning. We appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. Tell us a bit about. I understand you were very good friends with Farooq. You t- you taught Amir Hussein. Tell us a bit about them both.
7: Sure. Actually, it's it's really hard for me to talk about them with, with no tears. Um, Farooq, yes, he, she she was one of our um, very good uh, PhD uh, former graduates from U of M. She won the um, prestigious Laureette Award for her thesis. Um, a few years ago, and then uh, she was our Mitacs representative, uh, working with the Mitacs to prepare proposals for us. Um, aside from professional work, yes, she was a good friend to many of us in uh, Winnipeg. Uh, she had contagious laugh and contagious optimism, despite all the hardships that uh, she had personally in her life. It's really unbelievable. That she's gone.
2: Can you tell us a bit about, she sounds like an extremely strong woman, about some of the things she perhaps overcame in that decision to leave Iran and come to Canada?
7: She was, uh, well, I know her since a few years ago when um, she was a PhD student at un- our university. I don't know much about her past, but um, I know that in her personal life, she had many difficulties. And um, despite that, and also she had many health issues especially uh, recently, that's why that he went to Iran, because uh, he won- she wanted to have extra tasks that um, in Canada takes much longer time to have those tasks. But in Iran, of course, you can have all the specialists perhaps done in one day. Um, so that's why that she went to Iran. And despite all of that, as I said, she was very strong, um, very smart, and an extremely good friend. Um, the other the other person that you asked about is Ami Hossein Hosseini. He was also a doctor, a physician. He got his MD uh, in Iran and then came to Canada. He went to Vancouver first. Um, he worked uh, with a physician over there for a year on a project and then came to Winnipeg as a master in our biomedical engineering program. Um, his main advisor was Dr. Marcus Eng. A neurologist, and I was his uh, co-advisor. Um, that is also very hard to believe that he's gone. Amir um, took two courses with me last semester. Um, as, an engin- as a physician who comes to engineering in biomedical engineering, they have to pass some certain engineering courses. And uh, I was impressed. He was working so hard, and he did pass them. Quite good, actually. He wrote both exams on December 16 because he wanted to go to Iran at night, leaving December 16. He went to get engaged. The plan was to bring his wife um, in summer, get married, and back years in summer. Oh, he so was a smart, bright that, a student.
0: Zara, what a powerful stories remembrances and, and sharing this Side of these folks that we obviously have no idea about, but I shared on my Twitter account Foro's uh, last tweet, and I read it earlier this morning, and I and I shared it with uh, my followers earlier today, and I just I think it's going to endear uh, this young woman to Winnipegers uh, for the rest of time. It says this, I just watched my first football game from beginning to end and couldn't figure it out for a while, no matter how much uh, Dr. Leash and uh, Paul Samantha explained for me. And the Winnipeg Blue Bombers won. Congratulations. Yeah. Wow, what a game. You're welcome for all my positive mm-hmm. vibes. And then some emojis, hashtag we got the cup. I mean, it uh, doesn't get much more Winnipeg than that. That's right.
7: Yeah, for was like that, yes. Yeah.
2: Full of life. The last life? forty-eight hours, Zara. I, I, you know, it's we've been talking about people who are complete strangers. We we don't know them, and it's been emotional for any of us. I can only imagine sort of the roller coaster that you've been on, trying to just come to terms with the fact that these people in your life are here. What, what's the biggest question for you when it comes to this crash? And are there questions you want answered, or is it just really right now about mourning the loss of your friends?
7: Well, first of all, yes, mourning uh, to get used to, uh, to to accept the reality that they are gone and to honor who they were and what they were living for. But also, uh, a main question that I have is whether it was a mere accident, this tragedy. Uh, Regardless of the fact that we Every day, we hear many tragedies around the world. There are many wars, many tragedies. We One cannot get used to the tragedy. And I believe, actually, that is a good trait in humans. We should not get used to the tragedies because many of them are avoidable. We shouldn't have this many um, tragedy in the world, actually, in the first place.
0: One we first heard about this plane crash and, you know, you try to understand more about what's going on and and why it happened. And then the geography comes into play. And for a lot of people, that's a halfway around the world. But within hours we, we realized, and it was almost predictable that somehow some way Winnipeg and or Canada would be affected by this tragedy. But I don't think we had any idea to what extent we would be hearing about this number of of Canadians involved. And this is just, for something that felt halfway around the world for a few hours uh, yesterday, it is just so much in our backyard now. It's inexplicable how quickly it all changes, just like everything changed for for those people on that plane and, and for those that loved them.
2: True. If There's one thing you'd like us to remember about your friends through what would it be? Her contagious love and that she
7: she was joyful, cheerful, no matter what every time that I wanted to uh, uh, to have some uh, good time or to forget the difficulties I was calling through and saying that let's go together, let's go out and for was always there always ready to, um, to get out and have some
2: laughs together. Thank you so much for your time, Zara. I know how hard this must be to share your memories, but it's greatly appreciated for us to learn so much more about these men and women who had their lives so tragically taken. Uh, thank you for your time. Sure. My pleasure. Thank you.
1: Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, Winnipeg fire crews were called out to a vacant apartment block on Maryland between Ellis and St. Matthews last night. And, Loren McNabb, this is an apartment that has been hit by fire before.
2: Yeah, and on that street, in that block, we've also had other abandoned buildings go up in flames. One was demolished back in December after it went up in smoke. And that had some residents, like the next resident we're about to speak to, really upset. Because the question is, what's being done with these buildings? How long can they sit around before something is done to take care of them? And is it increasingly putting other people at risk? And we're joined now by Roy, who contacted us back in December about some of these buildings. And, Roy, uh, this morning or late last night when that building went up in flames, what were you thinking?
8: Uh, again? <laughs> yeah, it's been, uh, well, it's, uh, I think I've lived there six years and it's been up uh, four or five times on fire.
2: The, what? S- the same building, four or five times?
8: Yeah, yeah. And a couple of times they fixed it and, uh, you know, like they moved people back in and... Uh, well, last time it went up, it was vacant, and the front part of the building was pretty much damaged. It was a for sale sign on it, and then uh, last night, went again.
0: <laughs> Roy, what's so frustrating about seeing this happen over and over?
8: Well, it's it's, it's, it's nothing's being done with these buildings. Like uh, the one that was next door to us, uh, it was it was for sale for a couple of years, and um, the. People broke into it. They stole all the copper piping, all the copper wire out of it. So basically, who's going to buy it? You know, uh, it it, it wasn't boarded up. So, you know, like you've got squatters or or whoever going in there and doing what they're doing. And, uh, you know, it's just an open invitation. They get cold, they light a fire, and next thing you know, the building's up.
2: When it comes to just the fire that's ha- the fires that happen in those buildings, what concern do you have? We know people were hurt. I think in the last fire or in one of the fires a year ago, and then it puts other area residents on at risk. So if you're just a few houses away and an abandoned building is is lit on fire accidentally or not, you're you're in harm's way.
8: Oh yeah, totally. You know, like I spent I spent that morning of the house fire on a transit bus. Uh, and couldn't get back in the house until, you know, the evening. Uh, last night, uh, oh, I called in the bed. I still had lights, and then the lights went out and woke up this morning. I had nothing, so I had to <laughs> get dressed this morning by phone light, <laughs> walk over to 7 grab my morning coffee and breakfast
0: there, and then get to work. So, Roy, who have you reached out to try and get something done about these vacant buildings on your block? Because well, for, every for, community uh, needs uh, someone like you.
8: For, for the last one, we went through our city councilor, uh, uh Gilroy. Yep, Cindy uh, Gilroy. I think that was her name, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, we tried to touch base with her, We never did get an answer back from her. Uh, the uh, oh, I, I mean, I, I talked to Andrew Swan, who was our member of parliament at the time. Uh, I talked to uh, uh, Robert fucking let You see, if he could help, he was trying to help us. You know, it's it's just you know, it's just no money to do anything. You know, I mean, they can't take care of the streets. They don't have money to tear down these houses, and and the people who own the houses uh, aren't doing a thing with them. It's like they're walking away from their property. Yeah.
2: Well, they've abandoned the abandoned buildings. Yeah right so. I've heard you laugh a few times in this interview as you describe what's going on but it's fair to say you don't find this funny at all you're pretty frustrated
8: oh, oh no it's it's very frustrating but all you can do is laugh at it because, you know I mean I love the area I I'm a west end boy at heart you know I I, I I live my whole life around Orioles community center and 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 you know it's it's you know I love the area uh it's so convenient to get around and you know just
0: you know
8: but it's it's like
0: it's the times we live in. Yeah. Well, well, you've, your voice has been heard here and hopefully loud and clear. And Roy, we'll be uh, asking uh, different levels of government, uh, you know, what can be done about this? And and why do these buildings sit so long? Just basically as an invitation for somebody to, to come in and, and do. Uh, obviously, we don't know exactly what happened last night, but uh, there are obviously, uh, you have your suspicions.
8: Oh, I, somebody, somebody was in the building, and I, there was, uh, when, I, when I went outside to check on after the fire crews arrived, there was a little bit of an explosion, and I think somebody might have had a propane heater or a tank up there. Because that's what it sounded like. I've heard them pop before.
1: Well, Roy, thank you so much for reaching out to us once again. We appreciate this, sir, and we appreciate the enthusiasm and passion you have for your community.
8: Oh, you know, it's, it's it's like I love this city. I, I used to live in L.A., and I used to live down in the States, and, but this is my home, and I, I love this city. All right, Even Roy. in the wintertime when it's cold like this, and I'm an outdoor person. <laughs> okay,
1: right. Hey, thank you so much for joining us this morning. You can read more at cjob.com, Winnipeg Fire Cruise Battle, Maryland Street, Apartment Blaze.